Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for being here today and for worshiping. And so we thank you so much for your participation. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. I had mentioned earlier that I'd be preaching this morning from Luke uh, chapter 5. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke chapter 5. I'd, I'd mention, I'd, I'd mention to brother, I think brother Mike and Terry and I was going to, I changed the title of my sermon. I was going to title my sermon, uh, I was talking to Mike and Terry, and uh, Mike Norton and Terry, and I, I thought, well, I think I'm going to title this sermon, uh, I've Got Friends in Low Places. And, and Mike said, I've got a song by Garth Brooks that'll go good with that. <laughs> so I thought I'd change the title and change the singer this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but uh, I thought Mike might want to say something like that. So, no, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. As I share with you a sermon, no one is too lost to be saved. No one's too lost to be saved. Matthew chap uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New King James Version. Verse 27 says, After these things he went out, speaking of Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And so he left. He left all. Levi left all. He rose up and he followed him, Jesus. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence at this time. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to our heart through your Holy Spirit. I pray for every person here this morning, for those who have never trusted Christ. Perhaps some may be thinking here this morning, well, I'm just too bad to be saved. I'm just not good enough to be saved. Father, I pray you'd speak to their heart. Let them realize that no one's too lost to be saved. And so, Father, I pray you'd give me the strength, give me the words to say, the right spirit to say the man. I pray that uh, you would uh, uh, guide me with your Holy Spirit. May you be honored and glorified through all of this. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have to listen a little fast this morning because I've got a lot of material that I want to cover. But if you'll notice right up front as we talk about Levi, we talk about Matthew slash Levi, our Lord Jesus had a habit of befriending sinners. He, he made it a habit of befriending sinners. We're thinking about friend day. Keep that in mind, my friendship connection. No one's too lost to be saved. You may have some friends who feel like they're too lost to be saved. They're too lost to come to church. People at church will look down on me if I come on friend day. No doubt there's some people you know that feel that way. You may have felt that way at one time. I know Doug Behrman's testimony said he just think he'd fit in at church until he came and he realized how much people would love him. 
I know he felt that way. But in Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32, you're going to find where our Lord befriended, befriended a man called Levi. Levi was his Jewish name, and Matthew was his Roman name. So you have a man here with two names. Matthew, Matthew, his Roman name, Levi, his Jewish name. Now, when you read the book of Matthew, he refers to himself as Matthew, but here, as he first begins to follow Jesus, he's referred to as Levi. So Matthew slash Levi was one of those people who were rejected by the religious crowd. They didn't want him around, and so he was one of those who, who the religious crowd thought he was just too lost to know God. He just too lost to know God. Levi would be a person that many so-called Christians today would say, you know, that person's just too mean to be saved. That person's just too lost to be saved. I'd invite him to church, but I don't believe he'd come. He's just that type of person. He's just too lost to be saved. Now, there are three things real quick that I want to mention in this passage of Scripture. The first one being we have a person with a shady vocation. We have a person with a shady vocation. Verse 27, if you'll notice, the Bible says that Jesus, he saw a tax collector. He saw a tax collector. Now, we don't get excited when we talk about collecting taxes or tax assessors and tax collectors. But Levi was a tax collector. And tax collectors were very they, they were more than dreaded. You know, we dread April the 15th. We dread doing our taxes and going and having those put together and, and hearing, a, by all means, not hearing a note from the IRS. You know, we just want to get it over with and hide out for a while, make sure we don't get any mail or phone calls. And we dread IRS. I do. Uh, not that I do anything wrong. I just want to uh, make that point. If any one of them are listening anywhere. Uh, but anyway, I dread the IRS, I dread tax date. But, but Levi was not, he was not dreaded, but he was hated. He was, he was despised. Even the people of that day held their little children. They held Levi up as a, as a person that, and they showed their children, this is, this is who you don't want to be like. You don't want to be like a tax collector. They were very hated. And so the tax collectors were hated. They were kindly dumped in with the adulterers and the fornicators and all types of sinners. And they were thought to be the lowest of the low. They were tax collectors. And you say, well, how bad, Brother Sammy, how, how bad were these tax collectors? Well, they were so hated and so despised that we're told about a story about that actually happened in a community sometime in ancient times where they actually found an honest tax collector. And they, they, they were so excited because this is something you didn't find very much was an honest tax collector, the only one they'd ever found. And so it was so rare that they erected a monument to this guy for being an honest tax collector. And so tax collectors were despised. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they just... They were despised, and one reason they despised them was because uh, the Romans occupied the land of Israel at this time, and the Romans taxed everything. They, they taxed your pur purchases, they taxed your property, they taxed your ox, your ox, your ox, ox cart, they, they taxed uh, roads, you paid a road tax, anything they could tax, they taxed. Then they went another step further in taxing the people, and they sold franchises. Now, get this, they sold franchises to someone who they would employ, who was a Jewish countryman, but they would employ this person to collect taxes for them. 
They would divide an area up into districts, and the Romans would then assess the taxes for the district, and those poor people in those districts had to pay so much in taxes. And then you had, you had a bid on the franchise. Uh, and when you purchase a franchise, all the Romans were interested in was collecting the tax that they had assessed, and anything above that tax, then the tax collector could keep for himself. So you had problems there in the land. You had you know, some people who were uh, colluding with the enemy, and they were working for the enemy, the, the Romans, and they you were know, working for this group of people that were occupying the land, the Jewish land, and they were looked on as tax collectors or traders serving this godless idol worship government known as Rome. And so they were using this position legally, the tax collectors were, to steal money from all their fellow countrymen. And so they were charging a tax above the Roman tax for them to keep for themselves. You remember this guy, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree because of his small statue. But another reason was he wanted to see Jesus. He was small. He climbed up into this sycamore tree. But another reason he went up the tree was he stayed on the ground. Somebody would probably beat the tar out of him because he was a tax collector. That's how they just despised tax collectors. And so they hated tax collectors. And so they were unpatriotic. They were raising the tax rate for personal gain. They were getting every dime they could for themselves. And then third, they loaned money to the people that couldn't pay their taxes. And so then they became loan sharks. And they had this high, exuberant rate of interest. And we loan you the money, you give us this much back. And they had this high rate of interest, kind of like sign your title, buy a car and all this. And that was happening back during the time of the Romans. So it's like you have the IRS and you have dictators and you have the mafia and you put them all together and they hated for the tax man to come to their house. So in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, Jesus tells a parable. You remember it. He tells a parable about two men going up to the temple to pray. One was a, tax, one was a Pharisee, another was a tax collector. And this Pharisee, the religious person, gets over in the corner of the building or side of the building there, and he begins to pray, and he said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like the extortioners, the liars, the unclean, the adulterers, and I'm glad I'm not like that old tax collector standing right over there. You remember that parable? Sure you do. So they were hated, they were despised, they were wicked people, and they were not welcomed in the local synagogue, i.e. in the local church during that time. They were looked upon, they were... They were too lost to know God. They were too lost. But Jesus shows up at this tax collector's table, and he wants to make a friend with this person called, named Levi. Now, I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your shady vocation is or what your shady vocation was. I don't know what your shady activity is today or what it's been in the past. But I'm going to tell you something. You're in the right place today. Thank you. You're in the right place today. Verse 31, Jesus speaks of a physician. You know, wouldn't it be terrible today if, you, if we went to the doctor's office and there was a sign on the door that says, no sick people allowed. We only deal with healthy people. You thought, my goodness, that's, that's just ridiculous. And so when these religious people, when they criticized Jesus, they criticized him because he met with the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners, it says. 
And so these are the kind of people that Jesus wanted to reach. This is the kind of people we want to reach. That's why our motto in the past has been reaching out to all people, regardless who they are, what's, what uh, color they are, what they've done in their past. And so there's some good news in all of this. Now we believe here that Jesus is alive. We believe that he's the same today as he was yesterday. We'll believe that he's the same tomorrow. We believe that he never changes. And so I don't know, what's, I don't know where you've been. I don't know uh, uh, what you've been doing. I don't know what shady activity or, or that you've been involved in. But, uh, you know, I watch uh, Gunsmoke from time to time. And old Doc Adams, he'll make a house call. And used to, doctors used to go out and make house calls. And I remember telling, people telling me how Dr. Underwood used to make a house call and carry his little bat bag, and he'd make a house call. He was a doctor. He was a pharmacist. They carried medicine with them to give you. But, you know, I've got some good news in that Dr. Jesus is making a house call today, meaning that Jesus is in this place today. He really is. And Jesus is here, and he's going from chair to chair. Not only that, he's going from person to person, chair to chair, person to person. And he didn't come here today just to help people who think they've got it all together. A lot of people are like that on Sunday. But he came here today to help people whose lives are just falling apart because he's the great physician. Aren't you glad of that? I was looking just before I came out about an old hymn that we used to sing, and, and that hymn, I left it on my desk, and it says, A great physician now is near the sympathizing Jesus. Remember that hymn? He's the great physician. He heals us. He can heal us physically, but he heals us spiritually. So he came here today to help people who are in need, and he's right here today. He's reaching out, kind of with his nail-scarred hand, to reaching out to help you wherever you're hurting in your life. That's Jesus. So we have a shady vocation. We have a transforming call. Notice this in verse 27. Chapter 5, verse 27. You have this transforming call. After these things he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi and sitting at the table and he said to him, follow me. Now, Levi, he's just sitting there. He's minding his own business, doing his everyday work. He's counting up his money, counting up all of his receipts. He's getting all of that in order. And Jesus just walks up and, and says two words to him. Changed his life. He says, follow me, there in verse 27. Follow me. That's his appeal. That's his invitation to you today. He's saying, listen, follow me. Do you know, you know that a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. You ever look on yourself as being a follower of Jesus Christ? The Bible says you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the word means. The word disciple means for, for a believer, for a person that say the person that's been born again, they're, you know, they're only called Christians three times in the New Testament. But they're referred to mostly as disciples or followers of Jesus. They're referred to as disciples, or what's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. And notice he says, follow me. So it's a personal call. It's, it's, it, some people think we're all saved kind of like group salvation. No, it's personal. It's a personal call. So he speaks to people. He speaks to people one soul at a time, one heart at a time, and one person at a time. And so although we've got a, a good number of people here today, he's dealing with you individually individually 
And the Bible says he stood right in front of this person called Levi, and he said, follow me. Looked him straight in the eye, no doubt, and said, I want you to follow me. So it's a personal call. It's a specific call to follow him. And notice his response there in verse 28. The Bible says that he left it all. He left all. He left the money that was laid on the table. No doubt he'd had a pretty good day. He left the money that was laid on the table. He left the money that he was going to get. Just left it on the table. There's some people who have studied... Uh, who studied tax collectors during that period of time, and they say that when you, when you purchased a franchise and you, and for your district, you paid that money up front. You didn't pay it one time. You know, you might buy a franchise at Burger King or, or maybe Chick-fil-A, and you pay it all at one time. They paid their franchise, these tax collectors, they paid it every year. It was a yearly franchise. And so he'd already invested his money, and he did that every year. And so the point is, this man was not only walking away from the money that he had on the table, but he was walking away from his, the money he had in investment. He was leaving it all. He left it all. He left all power. He left all of his security. He left all of that to follow Jesus. Now notice, to follow Jesus involves some things. First of all, it involves listening. Listening. So this call that comes to salvation, this call that comes to service involves listening but not just in your mind but listening also in the heart comes from listening comes to comes to the mind but also to the heart so he he heard the call not only with his head but he also heard the call with his heart it's that it's that still small voice you're a Christian, you probably heard that. Or it's that tug, it's that still small voice, or that little, that little tug inside, all rolled up in one where Jesus has said, I want you to follow me. You've had, you know what I'm speaking of. Some of you have responded to it, some of you haven't, but you know what I'm speaking of. And so there's, there's that little voice, there's that, there's that tug, the voice. Although it may be a still small voice, but there's power in the voice of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus went to a grave of a friend, Lazarus, and he said, uh, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, Lazarus came forth from the dead. There's power in the supernatural voice of Jesus. And so that call to come and to serve, to follow him and to serve, involves listening. It also involves believing and so when this Jesus is standing there in front of this man, he, he believes. He, 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 you know, everybody's talking about Jesus, no doubt. He's in the community. He's walking around. He's, doing, he's probably heard about Jesus, but Jesus, he believes in Jesus in a different way. He, he believes more than just intellectual about Jesus. He believes something in his heart. His heart's done got into this thing now. And he believes. I, I, I believe... He believes in his heart at that moment that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he believes in his heart at that moment that everything that Jesus was doing shows that he was the Messiah. I believe he believes in his heart at that moment that he actually knew that Jesus was God in flesh. I believe he knew at that time in his heart that Jesus was the Savior. So the call of God for salvation and for service involves listening involves listening, involves believing, regardless 
of your past shady vocation, shady actions. So the point is, it, it, it's, it's a matter of Jesus not transforming your mind, but transforming your heart. He gives you a new heart. So following Jesus involves listening, it involves believing, and then it involves learning. This is where a lot of people drop the ball in Christianity. We can't find half, half the Southern Baptist Convention on Sunday night in discipleship. There's something about this learning thing they ain't quite got yet. But salvation involves learning. This is, this is uh, you know, when, when you get saved, please remember this. You, you need to understand that's the beginning of it. That's not the end of the Christian life. That's but the beginning of your Christian life. Is, is, the, is the learning. That's the start of a lifelong journey of faith, being matured, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's where the learning comes in. So this man left this table behind, and for the rest of his life, he wants to follow Jesus. And all along the way, he's, he's learning to live like Jesus. That's what discipleship is, learning to live like Jesus. Now, it involves some things. It, discipleship, learning, involves listening. It involves believing. It involves learning. It involves obeying. Obeying. I mean, all of a sudden, obeying became the norm of Levi's life, and it became the will, God's will for his life. And so this, this, this involves listening and believing and learning and obeying, and it also involves imitating Christ. The Bible says we're to have a mind like his. We're to be like him. I mean, uh, Jesus said we should, we should become like him. We should, that means act like him. The point is, if you want to know how to treat your enemies, then you, you treat them like Jesus would treat them. If you want to know how to treat your mate, your husband, your wife, read the Bible. God tells you, the Word tells you how to treat your spouse. The Word tells you how to, how to handle your money. The Word tells you how to, how to take care of a wrong that's, that's committed against you. The Word tells you how to treat anxiety. The Word tells you about how to treat adversity and how to deal with personal persecution. The Word tells you. That's why John 1 says, In the beginning was the capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You go to the Word. You do what Jesus would do. You go to the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the man, Follow me. He said, I'll follow you the rest of my life. He leaves everything and he gets up. You know, sometimes God will take you, he'll look at you and he'll take you, he'll take what you had in your old life and he'll sanctify that. I was sharing this with somebody this past week. He'll take what you were in your old life and he'll sanctify that for your new life in him. Let me give you a testimony. Before God called me to preach, I worked, most of you know, as, as uh, with a chain company called TGNY, and I started out as a salesperson. I went into, uh, from there to, uh, to an assistant manager and from there to a, to, a, to a manager, and I learned how to talk to people, and I learned how to deal with conflict between employees and employees, and I learned how to deal with conflict between 
the public and the company that I work for, and then learn how about we talk, learned how about setting budgets and following budgets, and learned about this thing about return on your investment. That's real important. And then when God called me to follow Him, God sanctified all of my old experiences. He sanctified my, my old life, my business field, and He's used that to equip me to pastor a church. Does that make any sense that God can take what you were in your old life, sanctify it, set it apart for Him, and use it in the Lord's work? Sure it does. And he, he you th- think, it, think of Eli, I mean, Levi. Think of Levi. What'd he do? I mean, Levi was a tax collector. What did tax collectors do? Well, they jotted things down. They added up receipts, and they kept ledgers, and they kept books, notebooks. They jotted all of that down. He was writing. He was, he was keeping notes all time, all time. And then after Levi begins to follow Jesus, we don't hear about him much. I mean, there occasionally, but we have a whole book about Matthew. What's Matthew about? That's Levi. What's that all about? That's where Levi wrote everything down. (laughs) He took his tax collecting skills, and he began to write everything down. Everything Jesus is doing, Matthew's writing down, and he writes the book of Matthew. And so out of 1,068 verses that make up the gospel of Matthew, or the gospel of Levi, 644 of those words are the actual words of Jesus Christ. So Jesus took what he did in his old life, sanctified, and used it to glorify God the Father by Matthew recording his birth, and the list goes on and on. So you have a shady vocation. You have a transforming call. And then we have a great feast, and I'll finish up in just a moment. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, he throws this big party. You see that? He throws a party. He says, uh, then Levi gave him, gave Jesus a feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors there and others who sat down with him. And so he gives this party, this, this dinner in honor of the Lord Jesus. Now this dinner was kind of a three-fold thing, three different kind of parties wrapped up in one. There's a celebration dinner here. Jesus had just changed his life. And this always happened in the New Testament when people came to Christ. There's something to celebrate when someone comes to Christ. There's something to get excited about and to rejoice about. And so this, this tells me a little about the atmosphere of the church, what, to, what it ought to be in the church when someone gets saved. <laughs> Amen, praise the Lord. That type, excitement, rejoicing. That's the atmosphere of the church, what it should be. The Christian life ought to be like that. The atmosphere to heaven, in heaven, when someone gets saved. I mean, it's, it's kind of like throwing a party. You remember the Bible says in Luke 15 that this shepherd lost 99 sheep. I mean, he lost one sheep, had 99 left. What did he do? He didn't know what happened. He goes out and he hunts for it, and he's, he don't know if it fell off a ledge, if it's in some briars, if somebody stole it, or or wolves had gotten it, and all of a sudden he finds the sheep. And so on the way back, he begins in verse 6 in in, uh, Luke 15. He says, call all the neighbors. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate this fact that I found the sheep that was lost. It was party time. You remember the woman who lost a coin? That was very important because before you got married, the groom would give the the bride-to-be a coin, and she would take these coins, and she'd form this crown. 
and a coin had fell out of her crown prior to her marriage. And she's sweeping the house, and she's so disturbed, she's lost a coin. And all of a sudden, she sweeps up the coin. She gets so excited, and she begins to say, Hey, <clears throat> call the neighbors. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. I found the coin that was lost. And then you have the lost son, the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen, decides to go home, and his father is kindly waiting on him. And what does he do? The fa father sees him. He goes. He hugs him. He kisses him. And then he plans this big celebration. Luke 5, verse 30, these scribes and these Pharisees, they didn't understand what the party was about with Levi. They didn't understand that. Look at verse 30. And the scribes, Pharisees, complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't know why he's throwing a party. They couldn't figure that out. So the point is, it's sad to be lost in your self-righteousness and you don't understand uh, uh, an inkling when someone comes to Christ. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad to come by and offer a hand to Christian fellowship and people slip outdoors? They have the least clue of what just happened in that person's life. My goodness, it's time to have a party when somebody gets saved, when somebody's lost, it's, it's found. So when you sit in church and the Lord's touching lives and you're absolutely miserable, that's a picture of the elder brother. Remember him in that prodigal son story? That's the picture of him. What's the music about? What's all the dancing about? What's the rejoicing about? Nobody ever gave me a party. <laughs> yeah, he's just lost in self-righteousness and didn't know what was going on when somebody got saved. He, didn't, he never had experienced it himself. So the father in the parable said, uh, it's all right to do this because my son was lost. He's found. And you know, Luke says later on, he says in heaven, there's more rejoicing in heaven by the angels over one sinner who repents than so many righteous repenting. I got to thinking about that. Think about that. People are getting saved every day, not just here, but around the world. People getting saved every day, hundreds and thousands of them getting saved every day. And every day when people are getting saved, there's rejoicing going on in heaven because someone came to know Christ. Someone was snatched out of the, the fire of hell. Someone, someone else is going to heaven. Someone, another mansion's got to be built. Someone just came to Christ. It's a shouting time. It's a party time in heaven constantly, no doubt. You know, I was lost I was going to hell. Jesus called me. I heard him with my heart. I got born again. And that's something to be excited about. There's a celebration dinner. There's a retirement dinner. And Levi, there's a retirement dinner. Levi got up and made an announcement, no doubt. He said, guys, I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore. I'm, I'm saying goodbye. He said, no doubt, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm decided to follow Jesus. There's a celebration, there's a retirement, there's an outreach. That's why all the grumbling folks in verse 30 didn't get it. Look what they said and finished. 
said in verse 30, hey, what's all this about? I mean, he's eating. What do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What's all, what's all the time eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, well, I'm a physician to the sick, and I, I've come to cause sinners to repentance. Why did, why did Levi throw this dinner? Why did he throw the dinner for Jesus and for the other tax collectors and his friends? He threw that dinner for the same reason that we're having friend day. He wanted his friends and neighbors to know what happened to him where it could happen to him. He wanted his friends and neighbors to know what happened to him where it could happen to them. He just wanted them to meet the Lord Jesus. And so today, just like Jesus, we've got friends who think they're too lost to be saved. You know some. You know some. You're around them. Jesus Christ reached out and he touched folks that people just kind of marked off. I'm going to close with this. It's not original. I found this, but it was a great something to end on. It said, it's about two brothers. These two brothers were crooks. They lived a long time ago, way back yonder, when uh, people dealt pretty harshly with crooks. I mean, you know, you steal a horse, you got hung. And so they lived in an area where people raised sheep. So these two brothers decided to steal a sheep. Each one got a sheep. And they got caught. And the punishment was real brutal. The punishment, because they stole that sheep, they took a brand and they branded on their forehead... S-T, sheep thief. They branded that on their forehead. And one brother said, listen, I'm not going to stay here. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm going somewhere else. Every day I'm going to be reminded that I'm a sheep thief and somebody's going to say something about it. I can't take it. I'm leaving, I'm cutting out. And so he decided to leave. And he left and he went away and, and um, just stayed to himself, became a hermit and and then died and just buried in an unmarked grave. Nobody ever thought of him anymore. But the other brother, he repented. He repented. He felt so sorry that he was a thief. And so he, he repented and he says, you know, I'm a sheep thief. That, that's what I am. And I, I've got that on my head. But uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to demonstrate to these people in this community that I'm a changed man. I'm not the same anymore. And I'm going to prove through my righteous behavior that I'm a man of integrity. And he said, that, that's what I'm going to do. And so over the years, he began to, uh, to be respected. And they began to respect him and continue to respect him. And for a number of years, people respected this man with the ST. And finally, a newcomer came into town one day, and, and he kind of saw this man walking around, this old man all humped over, but he had ST branded on his forehead. And, and so he found one of the citizens in the, in the town, and he said, I need to ask you a question. He said, what's significant? What is significant about the guy walking around town with that ST on his forehead? And the man he asked was kind of up in years himself, or, maybe not as old as the man with the 
with the brand, the brand, and he said, you know, it, it's been a long time. It's been so long, and it's kind of hard to remember. I really, I don't remember all the details, uh, but I know this guy. I see him around here all the time, and I, I really think, I really think that uh, ST on his forehead, I mean, the way this guy is, I think that, uh, I think it's an abbreviation for saint, for saint. You see, repentance always produces results. And so the scars of your old life are there not to remind you of your past failures, but there to be a testimony of the transforming grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what can happen in your life. Don't think for a moment you're too lost to be saved. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. During this invitation time, I pray, Lord, that you would be with each person here. For those that are here today, Father, who've never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray today, Lord, that they would come and receive the free gift of eternal life as you've spoken to their heart, their mind, but also their heart. You're wanting to transform their heart. And so I pray today that they would be willing to step forward and come forward and say, I want to be saved, Brother Samuel. Give me an opportunity to share with them how they can do that. Through turning from sin, turning to a person by the name of Jesus. Believing that he's who he says he is. That he came, he died on the cross, he was buried. He arose again, died for our, died in our place. He was our substitute. He was the atoning sacrifice for all of sin, all of mankind's sin forever. There'll be no other sacrifice made for sin. And Lord, he was, he was buried and he arose the third day. He's ascended into heaven. One day he's coming back. And today I pray that people who have never trusted him for their salvation, they come today. And I pray, Lord, that we might come today and in rededication, recommitment to be who you want us to be. I pray that we'll thank you, Lord, that although we may have scars, but those scars are not to remind us of the bad times, but to remind us of your grace and your transforming action in our life. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation time. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.